Romans chapter 1, first six verses. I want to tell you that my hope is, if you have been at Three Rivers for more than a year, my hope is that you learn nothing new today. <laughs> my hope is that what I tell you is redundant. My hope is that as we go through this message, you say, I've heard that. I know that. I could teach that. That's my hope. So if that's where you are at the end of the service, good job. <laughs> but it's here, and it's almost in every letter of the apostle, this same stretch of text. It's as if whenever he sits down to write a person a church, he introduces himself, and we saw that last year, last week. He introduces himself. I'm Paul. I'm an apostle. I was set apart for the gospel of God. That's who I am. But then this second part is almost in every letter. He, he takes that phrase, the gospel of God. He says, that's what I was set apart for. I was, I was severed from a false religion of Judaism. I was severed from my own righteous record. Everybody looked at me and would have said, he's kept all of those laws. I was severed from that. I was cut from that. I was torn from that. Kicking and screaming against my will, I was taken from that. And I was given the gospel of God. And now I realize that that gospel of God is what I was made for. And so, if this morning's lesson, might be more of a lesson than a sermon, is boring, I'm, I'm sorry, but you got to get it. There are certain facts about the gospel that you got to get. And those facts, in and of themselves, are wonderful. I don't have to lace it with some funny story about my wife and kids and the dog. I, we don't, it, 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 these, these truths are so important. And so if you don't get it, if you fall asleep, it, go back and hear it again. Go back and listen to it again. Take your notes and go over it again. Call me and ask questions. Because Christian, what we're going to talk about this morning, I would say that if, if you claim to be a Christian, um, then this gospel of God that we're being introduced to in this letter, uh, you have to take it as what it is. It's God's good news. And, and, and it'll be defined, it'll be defended, it'll be applied to us by the apostles, handed down to us by His prophets in His Word, and it is confirmed by His Spirit. And so what I go over this morning, don't move on to the rest of Romans until it makes sense to you. This is God's word. Please stand for the reading. We'll go ahead and start with verse 1 again, although we went over it last week. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. This whole next phrase, we still haven't finished his first sentence, but this whole next phrase uh, is... Uh, it's a dependent clause based upon the gospel of God. So he says that thought, I'm set apart for the gospel of God. And, and it's clear. So in verse 2, then he's saying, I'm gonna, I, I just have to tell you about the gospel of God. Uh, so that's where we are this morning. Verse 2, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, 
through whom we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who were called to belong to Christ. Oh, I, I, I just love how he is now bringing them in to his own experience. What I've experienced in a calling to be an apostle, the, the calling, this effectual call, uh, not a can you make it to dinner, but uh, you will be at dinner. Uh, that calling, he says, is, it, it, it now belongs to you. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stands forever. You may be seated. Uh, I entitled the sermon, Introducing the Gospel of God. This is a, a way of introduction, and the rest of the 16 chapters of Romans are going to help us understand this term, the gospel of God. What is such great news? What is such great news that the apostle is so excited to share it that when he is put in stocks in prison, he's singing praise music? When he gets beaten for it, he rejoices. He's like, I'm just so glad I'm not dead yet because I get to share this good news, this gospel of God. And so the rest of Romans will explain the gospel. It'll defend it against various forms of different religions. It'll flesh it out in a sense of how it fulfills all of God's promises and prophecies in the Old Testament. And then it will, as it says in the text, it will lead us on in obedience. It'll lead us in obedience. Obedience to God's word, the commandments, and a desire to follow the commandments, a desire to obey, not seeing God's law as something, oh, I just hate it. I wish, I'm so glad we have grace so we don't even have to think about it. No, we'll look at God's law, and like the psalmist, we'll say, oh, I love your law. I love to meditate on it. It is the light to my path. It shows me what to believe. It shows me what is right. I love your law. How wonderful, how beautiful it is. It is like honey from the honeycomb to me. That will be the result. I pray when we get to the end of Romans. It won't be burdensome. It will be what an amazing gift this gospel of God is. I too, I too will devote my life to it, um, the gospel of God, the good news of God. In our society, we often say, hey, you can take that as gospel, right? You've heard that. You can take that as gospel. And when we say that, it, it means what I've just told you is true, right? That's what it means. Hey, you can take that as gospel. Uh, it, it means, even in our society, that what I've told you is true. You can trust it. You can build arguments on it. You can direct your life on it. But, but for the Christian in, in the New Testament, we know that, that gospel really just means good news. This is the good news of God. We have good news, and it's from God himself. Our, our good news is about God himself. In our society, it means truth. But in the scriptures, it means that this is a, a message, uh, a truth claim, that when believed, when acted upon, 
it, it, it changes our lives. It changes not just our status, uh, but it changes our purposes. We are to share it. We are to defend it. Now, in our culture, we have way too small a view of the gospel. And I might have shared this with you before, but I, I, um, I got hired years ago as a pastor of this church, and, and I was meeting with our elders. Uh, and it was before I got hired. And they said, well, tell me, you know, one of them said, tell me a little bit about your preaching. And I, and I think I said something like, well, I am upset if for some reason I walk out the door and I haven't preached the gospel that day. I said, primary of importance to me every Sunday is that the gospel of God is presented. About three years later, that elder took me to lunch and he said, you know, pastor, honestly, when you said that, he goes, I, I hate to admit this, but I thought, oh, that's going to be boring. What are we going to do when he's, I mean, I know the gospel. And he said, I, I realize how little of it had been applied to all the other areas of my life. If you and I ever do counseling or we work through issues, I will often take it. What part of this gospel of God are you not believing right now? What part of your gospel has come into conflict with God's gospel? And so it is important to the apostle and to us as he introduced this gospel that we have a working definition of it. Like I say, it is, it is far too small in our society. Um, and an incomplete view, an erroneous view of the gospel of God has caused horrible things to happen in the name of evangelicalism. Let me give you a couple of other gospels that are presented out there in evangelical churches. Um, see if you can finish this sentence. God helps those who? That's not the gospel. God intends for you to never be sick, struggle with money. How about this one? God hates the sin, but... Oh, you're like, I better not say this. I'll get yelled at. Now, that's part of a gospel. So much of the gospel that we get presented is just these little quips here and there that sound really nice. And it doesn't really require me really to change anything. And it's just so wonderful and it's so sweet. And um, it's incomplete. Uh, this one, God will weigh all our good deeds against our bad deeds. This one I heard this week. If God is infinite, then he's way too big for one religion. But you know what plagues our country probably more than any other false gospel? I find it actually in my own heart at times. It's this gospel. God exists to serve me. Wait, I, I, I don't. Let me tell you what. If we're honest, it's a good thing Jacob, Jake told us not to lie. If we're honest... I think at the bottom of every one of our hearts, there is, this, there is this health and wealth gospel. Now, we would say we don't do that as Presbyterians. But I think we do. When something bad happens, 
some awful news from a friend of mine last week. Just awful. And I don't, and I don't know a more generous person. I don't know a guy that has spent more of his life, his time, and his money discipling other people. And just horrible news comes. And, and you know what I think? He doesn't deserve this, God. And all of a sudden, my heart gets exposed that there's this sense. He's done so much for you, God. This shouldn't happen to him. And I'm telling you that that is a gospel straight from hell. That is Satan's gospel. That is the gospel with every idol. It, it, it will serve you if you perform. God is obligated to you. I mean, we hear it. I'm telling you, it's everywhere in our city. All right? It's everywhere in our country, and it's taken over Africa, it seems. Say these words. It's like an incantation, and God is obligated to give you money. God is obligated. I mean, you may have seen it. You've seen churches where children aren't allowed to be buried because they have demanded. They have claimed and demanded because Christ is in them and they're in Christ. This child is going to be raised from the dead. I watch those things and I am infuriated because I'm like, the world looks, the world mocks, and God's name is dragged through the mud. God's going to be glorified in my friend as he suffers. God's going to be glorified. They're going to shed lots of tears. They're going to be those psalms that we read where he and his wife hold hands and cry out, How long, O Lord? But God's going to be glorified. I believe that with the pit of every, every bit of my being. But brothers and sisters, our gospel has to be God's gospel. And um, so the, sen- morning and the, the sermon and the sentence this morning, just simply taken from this text, the gospel of God, as, as an introduction here, the gospel of God is God's plan. It is God's plan. It concerns His Son's work, and it fulfills God's promises and purposes. The gospel of God, it is God's plan. It concerns his son's work and fulfills God's promises and purposes. I'll say once again, if you claim to be a Christian, you must take this, the gospel of God, as it has been given to us, as it has been defined, defended, as it has been applied by his apostles. We see that in all of the New Testament when they say, you're, not act- you're acting out of line with the accord of the gospel. I love those phrases. You are acting, not you're acting racist, Peter. You're acting out of accord with the gospel. If you grab that gospel, your behavior is supposed to change. Um, if we claim to be Christ, then, then that's our God. If we claim to be Christians, that's our gospel. Given to us by the prophets and written in his word. No, no mistake that John in his gospel says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The Word, Christ, the Gospel about His Son, Jesus took on flesh and blood. We understand what the law of God looks like when we look at Christ. We must hold that. All right, so we'll break it down in three parts this morning. The first, the Gospel is God's plan. Okay, so we see that in verse 2. The Gospel is God's plan. 
Uh, and it's interesting, it's kind of redundant how he writes it. Look at verse 2. Which he promised beforehand. So he uses these two words, promise. Well, what promise is not made beforehand, right? This is the nature of a promise. You don't go back on your word and say, I'm going to promise you something that just happened, right? Promise carries with it that sense. I promise you, I will clean my room if you let me play Xbox for another hour. You're, you're, you're making a promise about something in the future. But he says it just, it's almost like to make it so crystal clear. And they do this a lot in, uh, in Greek and in Hebrew. They, they, well, they just, they emphasize by saying the same thing in a different way. The gospel is God's plan. He promised it beforehand. There is an essential continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, sometimes I wish we had a Bible that just went from Malachi to Matthew. And just as you were reading it, you just went right on. There is this wonderful, beautiful continuity. And especially if you go from Malachi to Matthew, because Matthew sits and he talks about when the Word became flesh, that's John's language, but Matthew says uh, everything that Christ did always through there, he says, in order that the Scriptures might be fulfilled, in order that God's Word might be fulfilled. Do you understand that the person I have seen and touched and talked to, do you understand that that person is this promise that the prophets had way back when? So the gospel, it is God's plan. In Titus, he does the same thing. And so as soon as you hear anyone refer to the gospel as God's plan B, Close your ears and move on. The gospel was never, ever God's plan B. From eternity past, his plan was the gospel. He didn't hope that humanity would get better. He didn't have some sense that we're going to create a human being that will keep my law, that won't be messed up by the stain of sin what a wonderful thing it is in our theology to have original sin. I mean, what a wonderful doctrine. We might think it's horrible, but I tell you what, if you have a kid, and I'm pretty sure my grandkid, I know my grandkid was born in sin. I know that he comes with a stain. I know that even before he can issue words, he will scream to have his way and to rule the house. I know that. And the gospel is good news. For him too. So he says it's God's plan. Um, and so just a couple things here. First, that uh, it's, it was given through his prophets. So what the apostle is saying, Paul will say this, and, and if um, you could read that first chapter of Galatians too, it's really good where he just says, it's not something I, de I devised or we came together. He goes, uh, I was given this gospel. I was given this message from God. Uh, it came through his prophets. These prophets were other slaves of God. They were called and set apart for the gospel. In 1 Peter, 1 Peter, Peter writes, and again in New Testament studies, sometimes you have this, Peter and Paul have different gospels. It's ridiculous. It, 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 they don't have different gospels. Peter refers to Paul's writing as scripture. Peter writes here in, in uh, his first, uh, first letter, chapter 1, concerning salvation, he said, the prophets who prophesied about the grace with the, to be yours, they searched and they inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ 
in them. Right Before Jesus was incarnate. The Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. And the things that you have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. He says here, things into which angels long to look. When we get to Advent, and we have all these pretty pictures of angels, and we sing songs about angels. That's what you had at Advent, right? Suddenly, it says, the sky was filled with a host of angels. The spiritual reality of what was happening in flesh and blood in a little baby come to earth. The angels who had longed to look, how is our God, who is absolutely perfect, who lives in unapproachable light, who is a consuming fire. How is our God going to make this horrible world right? How is He going to rescue this creation of His who murder and lie and kill and cheat? How is it going to happen? How will He be reunited with His creation? How will it all be undone? A baby is born and they can control themselves no longer. And they cry out, glory to God in the highest. And in earth on those whom his favor rests. It was God's plan. It wasn't something new. It wasn't because all these other dispensations failed. It was his plan. The prophets talked about it. The angels longed to look into it. Secondly, he said it was written in the holy scriptures. It's not a new religion. Now it's necessary that we grasp that, that it's God's plan. Because there is always to Christianity two great temptations. The one is just outright false teaching. But most of us don't fall into that. The second is syncretism. And that's, that's, what, that, that's where the, the true gospel gets syncretized, gets melded with whatever the gospel of the culture is. Right? So it makes sense that in a country like America, the health and wealth gospel gets melded because it's the religion of our country. <laughs> uh, written in the Holy Scriptures, it's not a new religion. Um, so it's necessary that then there are three witnesses, right? The prophets, the Scriptures, and now the apostles. It's necessary that we understand it's God's plan. It wasn't something we made up. You know why? Because it's such good news that it sounds made up. The gospel of God is such good news that it's very, very hard for us to believe it. What Paul will say in his letter about the gospel of God, that our sins are not going to be counted against us, that we will receive just by faith alone what Christ has earned, that we will receive that by faith alone. It's, it's when, we, when we grasp what those two things mean and how it works out, it's just like, can that really, really be true? Yes, it's true. And it's hard to believe. And we don't live as if it's true. But it's true. Um, and, and I would say thirdly, we need these witnesses. We need to know it's God's plan. Because it really does go contrary to the direction of our own human heart. Let me put it this way. As good as we are, as nice as we are, as close to God as we are, we generally love people because they love us, don't we? We befriend people because it's good for us. 
Right? We, we, we decide not to be around people, not to pursue people in love if it's too much, if it's too hard, if they don't appreciate it. And we feel okay doing that. And so we tend to take the way we operate with one another and we think that's got to be how God does it with us. It's got to be. I have absolutely no right to ask him this. He knows what I've been doing. He knows what I've been thinking about. I have no right. And so the gospel of God, we've got to know that it's his plan because it's such good news. It's, it's opposite to how we deal with one another. Um, and it's life, really, for us. Um, plan B portrays a weak God, a God who is reluctant to save his people. But those that are good enough, smart enough, and by gosh, try hard enough, he'll save here they say, as you face these persecutions, O Christians in Rome, as you face these hardships, know that you are connected to the people before you. That's the beauty of Hebrews 11 when he writes there, all these trials that you are suffering, it's happened to people way before you. You are a part of this people. All right, so we're going to move quickly through the next two. The gospel of God, it's God's plan. Uh, secondly, it concerns his son. So verses 3 and 4, uh, this is God's plan. The prophets announced it. Um, it concerns his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. The gospel of God concerns God's son. Now, we, we call this in theology Christology, our understanding of Jesus, who he is. And so um, you, can, you can look at like the Nicene Creed uh, for the makeup of Christ. But what we have here is the apostle, again, in introductory form, saying the gospel is about his son. And here's what we know about his son. Our, 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 the, the Son of God had two distinct natures. The Son of God had two titles, and he even uses two different verbs to describe it. And so he's like, here, here is, here's what we know about Jesus. And so he uses these terms, according to the flesh and according to the Spirit. Okay? The Son of God according to the flesh. Uh, according to the flesh, his human nature. He descended from David according to the flesh. He was fully human, flesh and blood. And he was descended from David. Why is that important? Because that was promised beforehand. Again, God's plan. Descended from David. So important that Matthew puts it in his gospel. Luke puts it in his gospel. He was fully human. He was the son of David. And in his divinity... Fully human and fully divine. He doesn't set one down and pick up another. The, the natures aren't mixed. He's not like 50% man and 50% God. They're not confused. If you read the creeds, they, they, they lay this out and you wonder why. Well, lots of heresies have come out of this. Um, he was eternally begotten. Um, so, fully human, fully Divine. Uh, the term is according to the Spirit. He was the Son of God, declared, appointed, uh, realized in, in, in power. It's not something he grew into, but the resurrection in the sense that he is saying it here. He was, uh, he was declared by his resurrection. It's as if he, how he existed from all eternity becomes now obvious to the world. I am proving 
beyond the shadow of a doubt that I'm fully divine. I have laid my life down of my own accord, and I have resurrected myself according to my own power, declared the Son of God. Um, as Douglas Moo writes, it's the Son who has appointed the Son. The tautologist, or the needless repetition of the statement, reveals being appointed Son had to do not with a change of essence, as if a person or human Messiah becomes the Son of God for the first time, but with a change in status or function. Again, if I'm boring you, go back and listen to this statement because it's taught in churches. So when people say, well, at least they're going to a church, they may be going to a church that teaches Jesus became the Son of God by his obedience. Lots of churches promote that theology and then it puts us in there if you want to become the son of God then Jesus stands as an example follow his example what would Jesus do reformed Christians what did Jesus do um, thirdly uh, the gospel it's God's plan concerns his son's work and it fulfills God's promises and purposes. Now, you know I made a joke about this taking 15 years, but each of those points we probably could have taken a week on. Uh, and this too, we'll get further into this, this fulfilling of God's purposes and promises. Uh, and if it seems I'm being unfairly rude or mean to other churches, that is my intent. I am absolutely tired of having destructed worn out, hurt Christians because they've been fed lies. And they come and they say, I trusted God with this. And I believed it. I believed it 100%. My husband believed it. Our whole church believed it. We claimed it. We used the name of Jesus. We said it out loud. And it didn't happen. And their whole faith is jettisoned. I want to say, and I have said, did God promise that? Let's look at what his word says. What does his word say? In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. And so if I'm being nasty about it, it's time to be nasty about it. Brothers and sisters, um, we've been given this charge. We've been given this gospel. And there's no way I'm saying we're the only church that has it. I'm not saying that. I'm saying there are many false gospels out there. And the sweetness or spirit of ecumenicalism that we think elevates us is really just accepting false teaching. And we must test it all. Um, the gospel of God fills his purposes. I'm going to give you five things that are his purposes that we get from this. Uh, verses 5 and 6, through whom, again, about his son, through whom, another clause based upon the flow of argument, the son of Jesus, fully God, fully man, through whom we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who were called to belong to Jesus Christ. Five things. First, the grace of God is received 
only through the work of Jesus. The grace of God comes to us through our Savior. It says here, the grace of God, we receive the grace of God through the work of Jesus. So the grace of God doesn't say that our sins don't matter. The grace of God says our sins mattered so much. Unholiness, the evilness in our heart, the things that mattered so, so much that God couldn't just wipe it away. God couldn't just pretend it didn't happen. But in His grace and a, a love for His enemies, He sends His Son and we receive our grace through the work of His Son. Secondly, this apostleship, and we talked about that last week, Paul's call in his office uh, to preach and teach and defend the gospel. That's part of God's purposes for him. Thirdly, the obedience of faith. Believing and resting upon the finished work of the gospel of God brings us to obedience. If the grace of God and the gospel of God gives you freedom to sin, then you're, you've got something wrong with your understanding of the gospel of God. If you think for some reason it now frees you that those things don't matter anymore, then, then you, you've got something wrong with the gospel of God. He says, that's what's going to happen. You know, that I've said this before. One of my pastor friends says, uh, I got to teach people the first six months they're saved because after that, nothing else changes. And I said, oh, that's just horrible. I could never, ever be a pastor if I thought I had a six-month window to teach everything I can right after someone gets saved. I'm like, brother, I'm still learning stuff. I'm still repenting of stuff. Oh, my God brings up things even this week, things that I just didn't know was there in order to purify, in order to give me the excitement and the joy of obedience. Fourth, His name is exalted. So rather than when trial comes thinking, how can God get me out of this? Maybe the Christian is supposed to think, not even maybe, the Christian's supposed to think, how is God's name going to be exalted in this? The dad and the mother grab their kids around and they say, here's what we know. We don't know whether we're going to get better. We don't know whether this is going to get paid for. We don't know whether dad's going to come back. We don't know any of this, but here's what we know. We know our God sent his son to die for us. And we can trust in him. Fifth, it is through this gospel that the nations are brought to him. God's plan was always missional. And in the Old Testament, His plan was missional. In the conquest, His plan was missional. You go to a village and you give them the terms. But in no way, Israel, do you intermarry with them. You know why? Because they'll make you worship idols. And Israel said, but they show is good looking. Look at that beautiful piece of hunting property. Yes, I can convince them. No, I'm not going to get tainted by their idolatry and false religions. Every bit of his gospel was missional. Even the conquest. The nations will be brought to him. And this gospel of God is for the sake of his name. This good news, and it's really wonderful for us, it actually delights God. He doesn't reluctantly save us. He takes great pleasure and great delight in rescuing his enemies and making them his children. 
it brings his name honor it brings his name glory if you notice much of the time in my pastoral prayer when we talk about people with cancer or people with this we ask for the lord to heal we don't demand it we don't claim it what do we claim the peace of god what do we claim the gospel what do we claim that he hears our prayer what do we promote is more important than getting healed? A soul being made right. Right? When Jesus heals the guy on the stretcher, he says, your sins are forgiven. And I, I never forget the first time it kind of dawned on me. Guys lowered from the ceiling and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And I'm thinking, if I'm one of his friends, I would say, that's cool, but can you make him walk? And Jesus says, no, no, just so you know that I have the power to forgive sins. Now get up and walk. The greater work, of course, was the forgiving of all of the offenses against the holy God. I'll make the guy get up and walk. Just so you guys know, I have that power. Introduction to the gospel of God. We'll spend the better part of a year um, dissecting it, understanding it, looking at it from different places and different uh, applications of it. But make sure that you get this, that the gospel of God, it is God's plan. It concerns his son and it fulfills his promises and purposes for everything. Not just you, not just our church, but for all of creation. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you make these things clear to us. But I thank you even more, Father, that you have promised your Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, please work in us that the gospel of God is so precious. Will you make us students, not just of your word, but of your gospel? Will you make us, Father, ever aware of the times we kick and scream against it because holding on to our own righteousness just, just feels right? Will you protect us, Lord, as a church? And even now, if we step out of line one step from your gospel, will you call us back into line? May we be like the Apostle Paul that says, if I, if I or anybody else teach you a gospel other than this, let them be accursed. Protect us, Father. For without you, we are sheep without a shepherd. Holy Spirit, be a guardian to our minds and our hearts to believe and hold what is right and true. We ask this, Father, for the glory of your great name, that your name would be great in Grove, in Oklahoma, the U.S., and the world, the making of your name great, the promoting of your name great would be part, be the, the greatest part of our desires. Father, now prepare us for the sacrament that as we celebrate the gospel uh, with taste and smell and sight, the, the wonder of it, that Jesus would say, my, my body, it's going to be given for you. What I have earned, is, it's, it's for you. Oh, you'll need to do this often. Oh, not just once a year like Passover. You're, you're going to have to do this often. 
We see the churches, early churches doing it every time they met, often reminding us the gospel is true. Taste it. When you confirm in us as we eat that bread that Christ's body is sufficient. When you confirm in us as we, as we drink the cup that his blood was sufficient to cleanse us. May we have this good news firmly etched in our minds. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.